Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Hannah Shaw is not available. At the tone, please record your message. Hi there, this is Shauna. My dog Tango is a senior. I know that senior dogs need different care, but I'm not exactly sure where to start. We have him on senior food, but what are some other best practices that we should know about? Thanks so much. You're listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from Banfield Pet Hospital, hosted by me, Hannah Shaw, animal advocate, otherwise known as the kitten lady. If you're like me, you love your animals a lot, but they can't talk and it can be tough to know what they really need. Not Just Fluff is here to provide you with actionable tips and science-backed advice from reputable professionals who really understand pet care. Oh, senior animals. They have lived long and incredible lives, and some of them have been with us since they were just puppies and kittens. This topic is so near and dear to my heart because my closest companion is my senior cat, Coco, who I've loved for 15 years. Giving her the care she needs is one of my biggest priorities in life. Caring for a senior animal is such a special experience, but there's also a learning curve and a lot of information to know. To discuss this topic in depth, I've brought on Dr. Andrea Sanchez, who can offer a vet's perspective on caring for our beloved seniors. Dr. Sanchez earned her veterinary degree from Oregon State University College of Veterinary Medicine after graduating from Vassar College. Today, she serves as Area Chief of Staff for Banfield Pet Hospital in Portland. Andrea, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Hannah. It's good to be here. I wonder, do you have any animals of your own and what are their ages? Have you ever had a senior animal at home? I have a 13-year-old pit bull mix right now. His name is Frankie. He is the best. Uh, sadly, in the past couple of years, um, my husband and I have seen each of our three cats through aging and becoming older and then finally leaving us, you know. So we've had a lot of, of geriatric animals. Even in vet school, I adopted two different dogs from the shelter who needed homes that were both over the age of 11 when they needed a home. And that's kind of that's kind of an area where, I don't know, there's a special part of my heart that goes out to geriatric pets. I can see you glowing while you're talking <laughs> about this. And I, I relate because I'm in the same boat with my animals now and is there a senior animal that you've treated recently who really touched your heart? Oh my gosh. I think I think it always just amazes me how much you still can do for them to improve their quality of life. I think that's what what always keeps me feeling inspired and passionate about caring for geriatric pets because you'll never know. I mean, owners will come in with to you with a cat that doesn't even hardly move around at all anymore. And now you can give them like an injection of an anti-inflammatory that's, you know, got no side effects, that relieves their pain, that makes them start moving. There are so many pets that have really touched my heart and just inspired me as a veterinarian, just realizing what there is that can still be done to keep them happy and keep them comfortable. I love your passion for this topic so much. Um, you know, today, as we're talking about senior animals, what age qualifies as a senior and is it different for cats and dogs? 
any patient over eight years of age is considered geriatric to your veterinarian. That was your what your veterinarian was probably taught to consider a geriatric or older pet. Now, I know that that's hard for some of us to wrap our minds around sometimes. It's dogs or cats are considered geriatric generally at eight years of age. Part of the reason that's hard to wrap your mind around it is because it really depends on the individual, right? It's different for every individual patient. And in particular, when it comes to the breed of dog, the smaller breed dogs tend to live a lot longer. So eight years old for a miniature poodle is not eight years old for a Great Dane, right? Eight years old for a Great Dane is a much older eight years for a miniature poodle, maybe halfway through their life. So it can really vary by by breed and, and by lifestyle, uh, taking care of their teeth, whether or not they have a heart condition, um, how bad their arthritis is, all these things make a huge difference. I like what you say about how that can be hard for people to wrap their head around because I definitely can relate to that. I remember when my animals were turning, you know, 10 and veterinarians were saying to me, oh, well, because you have a senior. And I'm like, what? No, I don't. I don't have a senior. No, 10 years old. They're just finishing elementary school at that age, right? <laughs> but obviously, cats and dogs age at a different rate than we do, right? I know it's so easy for us to anthropomorphize, right? Which means like thinking animals are people, right? And thinking people and animals are the same. And we just have totally different lifespans and therefore different metabolisms and different rates of aging. I mean, it's just, it's, I love your comparison to elementary school, a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> totally different story, right? <laughs> yeah. You should really just be starting middle school at that I know. age. That's my perspective. Um, so, you know, this is a developmental stage that I think sometimes it's new for those of us who are going through it for the first time. Can you talk about what changes happen to cats and dogs as they're entering uh, their senior years? What's happening in their body as they age? Absolutely. I think it's probably, there's probably three main areas that you'll see major changes. One is teeth and oral health. You will start to see periodontal disease and just the accumulation of plaque and tartar and the effects of long-term plaque and tartar buildup start to really, really show themselves after the ages of eight and nine. If we, Especially if your pet has never had their teeth brushed and never had a professional dental cleaning, you will start to see receding gum line, loose teeth, oral pain. Also, kidneys and kidney health and kidney sufficiency. The kidneys start to have more trouble filtering our blood, right? The job of the kidney is to filter our blood and to make urine because urine is all the the filtrates or the waste products from our blood that we urinate out. That is an organ that starts to get a little tired maybe in a lot of older patients. So we always want to keep a really close eye on kidney health through routine blood work after the ages of eight and nine, especially. And then I would say probably the other big, big area where we very commonly see changes is bone and joint health, right? So we start seeing the effects of long-term joint inflammation arthritis, osteoarthritis, right? Or just little aches and pains that didn't used to be there before. And I'm speaking for both dogs and cats here when I talk about oral health, kidneys, and arthritis. Cats get arthritis too. And so few of us recognize that when our cat starts to get arthritis, it they can hide it so well. All we notice is that they move around a little bit less. They're just little less active than they used to be and they were young. They're just not that, you know, crazy wild kitten that's climbing the curtains anymore. So we we think they're just getting old when a lot of times they're actually suffering some more 
stiffness and joint aches and pains. Can you talk a bit about the difference between normal signs of aging and signs of health issues that actually could be addressed through treatment? So the thing I want everybody to remember is age is not a disease. Age is not a disease, right? Mm, I mean, I'm mm, saying that because mm, I'm, I'm snapping. Gray. I know. I've got gray <laughs> hair and I've got arthritis, but like age is not a disease. Age is associated with an increased likelihood of certain diseases, right? Yes, it is associated with increased likelihood of certain conditions and certain diseases in and of themselves treatable and manageable in their own way. I think it's important for us to recognize it as there's no such thing as just old age. There are, you know, there is kidney insufficiency. There is congestive heart failure. There is arthritis that can sometimes result in decreased mobility. There, you know, there's periodontal disease that can result in difficulty eating. There are, oh my gosh, endocrine diseases. I mean, thyroid problems, diabetes. I'm making age sound Mm. awful, but. (laughs) No, but I love I love this conversation because, you know, like knowledge is really power. And I find it very empowering personally to know, you know, there is something to be done for a lot of this. It's not just sit back and go, oh, well, my cat or dog is is old. There's nothing to do about it. Like, I I love your passion for helping people understand. No, there is something to be done. A lot of the time there there is something we can do. I mean, absolutely. And I think when I talk to most of my clients, the vast majority of them really what they want for their pet is uh, is a better life, not necessarily a longer one, right? No, no, and no. most of them, when it comes right down to, you know, are we going to go to extremes to keep my pet alive or are we going to ensure that every day for my pet is the best possible day it can be? Most people will choose the latter. Most people will say, can I just keep him as happy and comfortable or her as happy and comfortable as possible? That's usually the focus. And there is so much more than most of my clients realize can be done to keep your pet as happy and comfortable as possible in their older years. What are the nutrients that are beneficial for seniors or what changes when an animal's moving onto a senior diet and when should they change onto that oh, diet? Such a good question because there are differences at different stages of life and particularly when pets become geriatric, one of the biggest changes is actually just calorie content. So we tend to overfeed and feed more calories than our pets really need when they're a little older because their metabolism does slow down a little bit. That's a big one. And then every other nutritional concern is going to be very, very particular to the patient. So a lot of dogs in older age, for example, end up with kidney insufficiency, like I was talking about before. For that, if you know, if your dog is starting to show or your cat even is starting to show signs of kidneys not working as well as they used to, your vet will probably prescribe a different diet that has lowered protein content, different types of protein to to make the work that the kidneys do a little bit less. There's also going to be changes in phosphorus, magnesium, ammonium concentrations because the types of minerals that we consume, that our pets consume, is going to greatly affect kidney health. There are other diets that are really great for joint health, really great for skin health. They'll have higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids. They'll source their fatty acids from very key types of sources that are more bioavailable to the pet. There's not some general blanket diet that's great for every older pet. It's very much going to depend on your pet's needs as determined by your vet. 
You talked a bit about metabolism. Is there a weight change that happens for senior animals? And when should people be concerned about that? Like, Should people be monitoring their animal's weight? And when is it normal weight change? And when is it concerning weight change? Weight loss is a really common thing among older pets. Like sudden, like over a two to three month period, all of a sudden it's like the owner's kind of going, he looks skinnier. Why does he look skinnier? Right. All of a sudden, even a pet that's been like kind of overweight their whole life. And you're just going, why do you, why are you all of a sudden losing weight? So sudden onset weight loss is a big concern in older pets. Um, anytime that we have sudden weight loss, we look for all kinds of things. Um, and we need to usually look for that with blood work and radiographs. Um, we're looking for diabetes. We're looking for other endocrine disorders. Again, I said, like I said, we're looking for cancer, kidney dysfunction, sometimes even um, heart failure. Exercise and mobility are very important for senior humans. Is it also important for senior dogs and cats? And can you talk a bit about mobility changes or things that we can do to support cats and dogs uh, as they as they age? The number one thing is don't let them stop moving. Mobility is still important. It's sort of, I mean, I think it's our natural inclination to want to not cause them pain. So we're, you know, not going to make them go up the stairs or not going to keep taking them on a walk around the block. Whereas what's probably important is to still walk them, maybe not walk them quite as far or maybe not run them quite as hard as we used to, but we still need to keep them moving. It's counterintuitive. It sometimes is uncomfortable for us to see them uncomfortable. We need to keep them moving for a couple of reasons. One is we keep the weight off that way. And weight is one of the number one contributors to osteoarthritis pain um, and inflammation. And two, we need to keep the joints lubricated and keep the joints moving. Keeping the joints, keeping the fluid in the joints circulating reduces the inflammation in the joints, right? We do need to keep them moving. Now, some of the ways that we should consider how to help them keep moving comfortably and make them want to move more, especially with cats, because cats aren't going to do anything they don't want to do. Um, <laughs> Love them for that. <laughs> right. Is control of inflammation. And there are some really, really great new products, even non-pharmaceutical products out on their on the market now that most of them have to be administered by a vet. Um, some of them are oral supplements, though, that can really reduce inflammation, really reduce the pain of inflammation and can keep your cat and your dog feeling comfortable, mobile, despite their ongoing arthritis. Cats, you know, you can absolutely encourage them to play. You can still pull out, you know, the toys and try to get them to chase them even when they're 13, 14, 15. Um, you can still, you know, get them to walk around the house with you. But it's going to be encouraged even more if you can be treating them with some good pain control, probably on a monthly basis. There are new injectable products out there now. Your vet probably has them. So interesting. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about joint pain because I understand that that is pretty common for senior animals. And what is a sign that an animal might be in pain? How do people know if this is something they should be concerned about? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just about slowing down and watching carefully. Watch your cat when they walk up and down the stairs, if you have stairs. If you don't, watch them when they're jumping onto and off of their usual perches. You will see a slower and a more stilted, sort of stiff kind of movement, right? It's, a, it's just going to be a little more awkward than when you look back at your old videos on your phone from like five years ago. What we sometimes think of 
imprecisely as getting old is often stiffness, stiffness in their gait. And you can see that if you just watch for about two to three minutes, your cat walking up and down the stairs, you can usually see that stiffness. For your dog, they're having a harder time getting up from a lying down or seated position. It's just a little harder to pull themselves up, right? Or to like get started. The other big thing that you'll notice with dogs is traction on slippery surfaces starts to go down. Once their joints aren't as strong, the muscles around their joints start to get weaker as well. And if they're standing on carpet or a rug, they'll seem pretty secure. If they're standing on a tile floor, they will start to slip a little bit more and they'll have a harder time getting up. So grip is a big part of it. You will notice all of those things as being probably a sign that your pet is in pain. It's not always like just limping on one paw, right? And it's definitely not whining or just like, they don't just come up to you and go, oh, my shoulder hurts, you know? They're <laughs> sure. not, they're not, they're not yeah. real obvious about it. They're not. Yeah. Sometimes we have to really understand what we're looking for. So I appreciate that. I wonder, do you recommend making adjustments in the house? Things like you know, ramps and steps for the bed or mobility support devices, even like putting maybe a carpet runner down the hallway. Is that something that you do recommend for people with like a large dog who might be slipping or having a hard time getting onto furniture? Yes, very strongly recommend getting more rugs and more carpets. Um, there are even some socks and booties that you can buy for dogs now that help give them more grip when they're walking giving them a step up to the bed or to the couch where they used to not be able to get onto and off of as easily. All of those things are great. Ramps for the car. Some of them won't really be comfortable or want to learn how to use these devices, right? So even the ones who have, you know, actual spinal injuries, you can purchase slings that you can help them walk with their back legs in particular. And I'm a big fan of those doggy wheelchairs rather than inhibiting them, it actually gives them a lot more quality of life and a lot more playfulness, a lot more spunk. On this show, we talk a lot about the importance of preventive care. I think a lot of people associate preventive care with those first kitten and puppy appointments, but is preventive care still important for senior animals? It's probably one of the most frustrating things for a vet, and it's still kind of baffling to us that people often feel like uh, if they if they're dog or cat saw the vet when it was young that it had it had had all its shots quote unquote right uh, that's a really common misconception that like if you've seen your vet once or twice when your pet was young that it's good for life like one of the most glaring examples of ongoing preventive care that's needed for example as an adult and not as a puppy is heartworm prevention right heartworm disease is this highly contagious spreading growing disease that is transmitted by mosquitoes, which which can get into any one of our houses any time of year. And we have heartworm disease in all 50 states. And it's this preventable parasite. It's a disease that like a mosquito bites the dog and worms are in their bloodstream. And then the worms grow to these huge, gross, long, obstructive things that get into the heart. And then they cause heart failure, right? And it's, ha it's happening slowly over years and years and years. And that is preventive care that's only necessary after six months of age and every year thereafter. They need to be on heartworm prevention either with a year-round shot or a pill every month for the rest of their life or 
for dogs, there's a treatment for it, which costs more than 10 years of prevention would have cost. And the treatment itself can be deadly. It's highly dangerous. It's very painful. And dentistry is the other one that I will I will just start preaching about and feel no shame about being preachy. I'm just like, no, you need more dental care the older you get, right? Like that's how sure. dogs and cats are. Like the older they get, the more, probably the more visits they need to the vet, just like people and their doctors. Yeah. So I want to ask about that. You know, how does preventive care change as an animal ages? Are there different screenings and diagnostics? Is there different blood work that you're looking at? Does the frequency of the appointments change? Can you kind of talk about, you know, what does a senior prevention plan look like for a cat right, and for right. a dog? Most of them, your vet's going to tell you, try to bring them in twice a year and do blood work once a year when they're between like 10 months of age and seven or eight. Once they get to seven or eight, they're probably going to tell you, do blood work twice a year. They're also going to recommend an annual urinalysis. And part of that blood work is usually going to include not only kidney screening, but for cats, especially thyroid screening. And what they're looking for is liver health, kidney health. Um, they're looking for heart health. A lot of vets are going to recommend that your pet over eight years of age get routine chest x-rays and electrocardiograms to check for heart health. And no matter what, they're going to be recommending dentistry every year from the time that they're like a year and a half. So yeah, it does change. And I would say it's the frequency of how often they need their blood work. That's probably the biggest change. And then after that, it's very much their individual patient. I will find that I hear myself telling most of my patients over eight or nine, I find myself calling their owner more often and saying, hey, there's a minor abnormality on blood work. I need to recheck this in three months or I need to do an ultrasound or let's do some x-rays instead of everything was great today. We'll see you in six months. Right. So it's a little more likely that when you do come in, we're going to find something that we can keep an eye on. Right. Which is, yes, it's part of aging. Age is not a disease, but age is more likely to be associated with certain illnesses, most of which are manageable. Sure. Yeah. And I do think you're right that every animal is going to be different. Do you have advice for people who maybe have had their animal diagnosed with a chronic condition? How can people become comfortable learning these new skills or learning about these new conditions and the care that they require? Yeah, it's it's hard. I think the first thing to recognize is that it's emotional. I mean, you're going to be emotional because this was your this was your baby for so many years. I mean, I know <laughs> I know we don't all call our pets our babies, but, you know, in your eyes, they're still young and healthy and going along just fine. And who says they need this extra care? A lot of times we think of them more as a companion or friend than as this, you know, dependent in need, right, of, of mm. us to treat them. And none of, you know, not all of us were trained as nurses or caregivers, right? And so that can be really, really challenging. I think have someone with you that you trust and feel close to the first time that you have to go through something, especially if it's the first visit to the oncologist or if it's the first time you have to give subcutaneous fluids at home, right? Also, um, there are a lot of great videos out there that are put out by a lot of vet schools about how to give your cat injections at home. For example, right? I usually recommend go with a video that's either done by a vet tech or a vet or put out by one of the vet schools because there's a lot of information out there and not all of it is trustworthy. Sure, um, yeah. 
but definitely educate yourself and watch how it's done. Be okay with not being okay. It will be stressful. It will be very stressful to adjust. Even just the um, the change in your lifestyle that's going to go into caregiving because you're going to have more vet visits. You're even going to have to like mm-hmm. rearrange your travel schedule or your work schedule once you have mm-hmm. a pet that's in need of a lot more vet visits or chemo or things like that. I think asking questions and feeling comfortable expressing those areas of discomfort can really alleviate a lot of that fear of the unknown or fear that it, it can make you feel less alone to know this this stuff is a learning curve for everyone, but you can do it. You know, that I think that that can feel really empowering. Absolutely. I love that piece of advice. Ask a lot of questions. I even, you know, back to your earlier example of how you keep logs and you keep track of their weights at home. Keep track of your questions. Can write them all mm. down, right? Like keep them in your notepad on your phone. At Banfield, we have something for our wellness plan clients where they can actually just send an email. They can chat 24-7 with a veterinary mm. professional. And they, if it's midnight and you're up and you're panicking, you can just send an email to someone who may not have the answer to your question because they may not be an actual veterinarian, but they can give you some peace of mind and some ease and some answers in that moment. Um, so sometimes you can just do a chat or other times just write down your question, have it ready the next time you're going to go in. I know that it's a hard topic, but I would love to ask you about end of life planning. I think it's something a lot of people want to avoid talking about, but I really believe it's important to have a plan. Otherwise, the loss of an animal can really sneak up on you and uh, that urgency can be very hard on the animal and of course on the person caring for them. Can you talk a bit about how you help people make those decisions and how you help people feel comfortable that they're making the right choice? Yeah, this is always hard. I mean, after 16 years of being a vet, this is still complicated. It's still hard. I still, between me and the clients, we don't always know. You never know 100% if you're making the right decision at the right moment. There are some really great resources out there available now. The vet school at the Ohio State University has this really helpful tool where you can start assessing quality of life when your pet turns 10, when your pet turns 11, when your pet turns 12, you can fill out a little assessment sheet of what does quality of life look like for my pet? How often do they play? What are their favorite toys? How much do they like to jump up on the couch? What's their favorite thing to do? Is it to bark at the FedEx person? Is it to, you know, dig holes under my fence and escape? Like it's a way to assess month over month or year over year, the comparison as time progresses of what is quality of life for my pet. For some people, no quality of life is simply not wanting to dig in the backyard anymore. For others, they still have quality of life even if they can't walk and they're in diapers because they still like to eat and they still bark at the FedEx person, right? (laughs) So it really depends on the individual pet and on their family and on that year over year or month over month assessment. And then be aware that there are so many options for you out there. There are so many options there. You know, you can absolutely be there with your pet in the room at the vet's office when it's time to say goodbye. There are in-home mobile euthanasia services, which will come to your house and help and they'll even start with sedation or something so it's a very peaceful process not stressful or painful and they'll take care of all of the 
aftercare of the pet's remains for you. So will your vet clinic. You can have your pet cremated. Certain areas you can actually bury your own pet on your property. Um, That's not always legal in most places. So double check your local county requirements. But there are a lot of things that they can do to help you memorialize your pet. You they can save. You can ask your vet to save a piece of hair for you, a piece of fur for Listen. you, Listen. to uh, make a paw print in Listen. clay and bake it for you. Or you don't have to. You know, everybody grieves in a different way, so you don't have to have any of those things if those aren't going to work Listen. for you and your family. Right? Listen. Definitely start assessing quality of life now while they're still seeming pretty happy and healthy and comfortable, and then you'll know later on a little bit more when you're getting closer to to time. I'm wondering if you can speak to the things that we can do now if we have a younger animal at home to prevent common issues in senior animals. Um, You know, are there ways that we can set up animals for success in the future? Yeah, I honestly, the number one thing you can do, and this is hard for all of us to hear, manage their calorie intake. I mean, keep them as trim and as healthy a body condition now as possible. That is one thing in animals that has been proven to extend their lifespan and their quality of life. Be feeding either the recommended amount on the bag for your dog's weight or less if your doctor says your pet needs to lose weight. So your vet can actually give you, your vet or vet tech should be able to give you a calculated target calorie count per day. And every type of food is different. One of the most common questions I get is, how much food should I feed my dog, right? And my answer always sadly has to be, I don't know, because I don't know how many calories are in your dog's food. So what I can tell you is how many calories you should feed your dog uh, and how much your dog should weigh ideally, right? So that you can take your food and say, how many calories does the bag say is in this food per cup? And then how many cups do I feed per day to make sure I'm not going above that? Um, So, and lots of exercise and long walks and healthy alternative treats. So instead of letting them, you know, lick the gravy, um, what we can instead give them apples, you know, popcorn without butter on it and green beans. (laughs) The last thing that I'd love to touch on is senior adoption. What do you recommend to people who have adopted a senior dog or cat, you know, their new to this person, what should they be doing in terms of their first vet visit with that animal? If you do adopt a senior pet, you're probably going to reap the benefits that a lot of people who get a puppy or kitten are not going to get. You have you probably have a house-trained animal who is very calm and is not going to tear apart your furniture. So yes, that's the first thing. And I think that for a lot of them, the first vet visit is more about like you said, the relationship with the vet than anything else. I mean, yes, if you can try to get some assessment on where are we at with vaccine status, where are we at with heartworm testing and prevention, where are we at with other parasite prevention? So do we have any fleas? Do we have any skin problems? Do we have an ear infection? So maybe, maybe a general checkup. But the most important thing is the pet's behavior and the pet's fear, anxiety, and stress. So being a senior pet means you've probably been through something traumatic, right? A lot of those senior pets are in the shelter because their owner passed away or their family suffered some kind of like traumatic situation where they had to like move suddenly for financial reasons and could not keep the pet. So those pets are often traumatized and um, 
sometimes scared and unfamiliar. And this vet clinic is yet another unfamiliar environment that they're being taken to by this somewhat unfamiliar person that just adopted them and they may not be bonded to the you as the owner yet. So the most important thing is managing their fear, their anxiety and stress. So if the vet is willing to maybe just make that first office visit, just a chance for the vet to feed them some treats and to pet them. Mm, you know, that. if they let you take a blood sample, do it, run a heartworm test. But it's really more about the pet's comfort level. And it may be what we often call in the vet industry a happy visit, right? Where the pet mm-hmm. can just be acclimated to the vet clinic mm-hmm. and to the vet and to the vet tech. And do you, do you, as a person who has adopted seniors, do you advise people to do that? Like, what's your, what's your kind of elevator pitch for why people should consider adopting a senior cat or dog? My elevator pitch for it is largely because the pet is, uh, you don't have to train them, but, um, (laughs) but it's also for the people who are willing to make an investment in time and energy and kind of want to give, it's very rewarding. That's Mm. probably my most heartfelt pitch for it is it's very rewarding. Banfield's here to provide you and your pet with smart, affordable, high-quality pet care so you can worry less about the vet and wellness stuff and instead enjoy life with your BFF. That's why we created Optimum Wellness Plans. Our plans aren't insurance. They're year-long bundles of preventive care custom-built for the pet you love. Plans include unlimited in-office visits, 24-7 chat for general pet health advice, virtual vet visits, vaccines, dental cleanings, discounts, and more. Optimum Wellness Plans, essential pet care made easy. Learn more by clicking the link in the show notes or visit us at banfield.com. So now we're going to switch gears and give each other some fast facts about senior animals. So my first fast fact is that the average lifespan of a cat has risen quite a bit over the last couple decades. So in the 80s, the average lifespan of a cat was considered to be about seven years. And now it is considered about, uh, there's a lot of different estimates. I see 10 to 17, I see 12 to 18 years, but it's quite a bit higher than it was a couple decades ago. And I think that that really goes to show how far we've come in the understanding of their needs and the care that we provide to them. And by the way, the oldest cat in recorded history actually lived to be 38 years old, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. So <laughs> that was um, oh, a very surprising my. fact to me. I'm My jaw's on the floor. I love that. That is amazing. What I wouldn't do- believe it if it wasn't a world cat? record. I know. We need to <laughs> interview that person. <laughs> so speaking of cat lifespans and what helps cats live longer, there is no treatment for heartworm disease in cats. Okay? Mm. That's a fact. So the only way to prevent heartworm disease in cats is to prevent it. So they should be on heartworm prevention every month, all year round. Wow. That's my fun fact. It's a sad fast fact, but it's like, I don't know. There's a there's a way to prevent it. So my second fast fact is going to be about adoption. So I run a nonprofit called Orphan Kitten Club. We get a lot of applicants from, uh, you know, people who have a senior cat at home who want to bring home a kitten. 
And what we've found over the years is that sometimes one kitten plus a senior cat can, they can kind of drive a senior cat a little bit wild. Um, So actually, what we end up recommending is a pair of kittens because what's really nice about a senior cat and then a pair of kittens is the senior can kind of choose when do they want to engage and when do they want to say, I'm going to, I'll be watching you from the cat tree, but I'm not participating. Um, So we actually have a lot of success with that strategy of having um, paired kittens in a home with a senior cat. What about senior dogs and puppies? What do you recommend about yeah, that? It very much depends on the individual. It's so dog dependent. Senior cats tend to mostly all be- behave similarly, but with dogs, it's very dependent on the dog's temperament and the dog's personality. So you should definitely have had some test runs like at um, doggy daycare or at the dog park or even with a group of friends to see how does your older dog react with puppies and which kinds of puppies, what kind of behavior you know, lights your dog up versus makes your dog irritated, right? Before you go and bring a puppy into the household. Some shelters and humane societies will allow you to do temperament tests with your dog and see how they get along with the dog you're thinking about adopting. Any other fast facts about seniors that you want to share before we wrap up? So fast fact about dogs, especially when they're adults or geriatrics, is that they can have stones in their bladder without you knowing. Oh, the only way that you will know is if we catch it on a routine urine check or we take x-rays. Sometimes the stones can block their ability to pee or can be stuck in there and they're trying to pee. So another reason to have geriatric pets go into the vet very regularly Yeah, I think all of that reinforces everything we've been talking about during this discussion, which is, you know, the needs of our animals don't end at, you know, them becoming a senior animal. In fact, like they need that preventive care. They need that inquiry with your veterinarian to monitor and keep track of their health. And I can't tell you how much I've appreciated this conversation. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for joining Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Keep up the good work. I know for me, after a lifetime of loving my animals, there's nothing I wouldn't do to give them the best golden years possible. A big takeaway from this conversation for me is that preventive care does not stop as a senior. In fact, it becomes even more important So keeping on top of their veterinary care is key. I hope that you've picked up some new ideas for your animal companions of all ages so that they can have the best and healthiest lives. Thank you for listening to Not Just Fluff, pet wellness from the pros at Banfield Pet Hospital. Make sure to get your paws on the like and subscribe buttons so you don't miss an episode. This episode of Not Just Fluff is dedicated to Coco, Hannah's beloved BFF who recently crossed the Rainbow Bridge.